Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. My, my, how the time does fly. This is the 21st episode of Recovering Faith. Today I'm going to talk about grace, what it is, why we need it, and how to get it. I am also going to talk about what grace isn't, and spoiler alert, it isn't something that can be earned or bought, and it is not predicated upon your personal level of worthiness. And none of us can approach God's standard of worthiness without His grace and forgiveness. The dictionary defines grace as the free and unmerited gift of God, as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Grace is something that we all need, from the mightiest king to the lowliest of peasants, and we all have equal ability to get grace, and it is no way dependent upon our worldly success or failures though too much success can hinder a person from acquiring grace because they are too proud to ask for it or to accept it when it is offered. I think every person has had an experience where they have needed grace from another person, and hopefully they also have had an experience where grace was extended. Many of us have had times in our lives when we have shown grace and mercy to another person who was ill-deserving of it. And even more of us know someone who has been shown such grace. The thing about mercy and grace is those who need it the most are the people who deserve it the least. But the grace of God is not like an organ transplant where supplies are limited and the candidates are selected carefully. Grace is a commodity of unlimited quantity, and it is free for the asking. And unlike everything in this world, there is no fine print. The grace of God is for everyone, and the Bible says, For the grace of God has appeared that offered salvation to all people. Uh, Titus 2.11 And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24 I talk a lot about grace and mercy, and some people ask me why I speak of both grace and mercy and suggest that the two are synonymous. I always answer this way. We need both grace and mercy because grace is when we get something we don't deserve, and mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. We are forgiven and washed free through the grace, and it is by mercy that we aren't cast into hell for a myriad of sins. You see, if we were to try to earn our way to heaven, then even one single sin or mistake would be enough to lose our salvation and earn us a permanent residence in hell. But when we accept Jesus, we are judged on, we're not judged on our merits, we're judged on his merits instead of our own. I know a lot of people who are earnestly trying to work out their, or earn their own salvation, and think it all depends on their obedience to rules, and their performance of a specific ordinance or set of ordinances. Yet, Every one of them admit that there is no way in which a person can live up to all the laws or rules flawlessly. Christianity 
is the only faith in the world that believes that people are saved by the grace and mercy of their God and not by any works they themselves can perform. And any faith that teaches personal works save a person is not Christian, regardless of how much they claim to be. I always say that, as Christians, we don't do good works to be saved, but rather, we do good works because we are saved. As a natural result of being saved, we become new creatures in Christ, the Bible says. And there, as new creatures in Christ, we put the old the old person to death, the old person is put away. And as a new creature in Christ, we are trying to live according to the way that Christ would have us live. Being a follower of Christ and trying to live like Christ uh, naturally leads to one living a more Christ-like life, which includes doing good things. But again, I reiterate, it is not those good things that saves us, that because we are saved, we are more inclined to do those things. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness, uh, sorry, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Or in the King James Version, instead of saying Christ died for nothing, it says that Christ died in vain, which is the exact same thing, but in different words. I think the word vain resonates with some people more than the phrase for nothing. Jesus did everything for people who could do nothing in return. Yet some people refuse to accept the grace of God because it is quote-unquote too easy. And they want to work for something that was already given to them for free. If your grandmother died and left you a house paid in full, you would not insist that instead you pay the bank the full price of the house, even though you could not keep up with the payments and it would eventually be foreclosed upon leaving you destitute. The very thought is ludicrous, yet that is what people are doing with the grace of God. They are given this marvelous free gift, something they could never afford to pay for on their own, and they want to pay for it on their own anyway. As an illustration of how pointless and impossible it would be to earn our own salvation, imagine, if you will, a person in a little inflatable boat in the middle of a vast ocean, desperately trying to drain the ocean with a sponge. Clearly an impossible task, not unlike Sisyphus in Greek mythology, who was cursed to roll a rock up the hill every day just to have it roll back down as soon as he got it to the top. Regardless of how many times the sponge is filled and wrung out, it would not make a noticeable or measurable difference in the volume of the ocean. Even, a per- even if a person could live a thousand years, they would be utterly unable to make a difference in the level or volume of the ocean because what is added in one day is more than a person could remove in a lifetime. Not only that, but there is no place to put the water other than back into the ocean or into the boat, which would soon cause the boat to sink, adding the water back to the hole. Just like, uh, and our sin, basically, is that big, vast ocean. And our works is that sponge. And... Trying to drain, and that is what we're doing, is we're t- when we're trying to work out our own salvation, we're trying to work our way to heaven, we're trying to drain this ocean with a sponge, and it's something that will never work. Every person to ever be born has sin, both from the sinful nature inherited from Adam and what they commit themselves. In Psalms 51.5 it says, Behold, 
I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. In this psalm, David wasn't insinuating that his parents were not married, but instead was referring to the sinful nature every human is born into with a res- as a result of the fall of Adam. Because of Adam, all are born into sin, or born with an inherited sinful nature. We are not judged for Adam's sin. Um, it says in the Bible, The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. Ezekiel 18.20 While we are not judged for the sin of Adam and Eve, we inherited the consequences of sin. Just like a child born to a drug-addicted mother suffers from what is passed on to them, or when the parents have a heritable disease or a genetic defect that is passed on to the child. That is something that the child is born with, and something is passed on from the parents. And we likewise inherited a sinful nature that was passed down from Adam. Yes, we have all inherited a sinful nature, But the sin we are judged for is not the sin of Adam. The sin that we are judged for is the sin that comes about by our own personal choices, our own sin. In Romans 3.23 it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some people think of themselves as good and without sin. But 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Our sins are like the vast ocean, and our most valiant works accomplish as much as trying to drain the ocean with a sponge. We also know that the wages of sin are death, and we can't overcome our sin on our own. The good news is that we don't have to do it on our own, because Jesus has already done the hard part for us. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a... For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-57 To God, draining the ocean of our vast sin is less difficult than it is for us to pour a glass of water down the drain, and it has already been done for us. We just need to accept it. It's important to note, however, that just because salvation is free to us does not mean that it was without cost. Our salvation cost Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to suffer greatly at the hands of sinners and to be killed as if he were a common criminal. It is by the grace of God that we are saved from our sins, and it is not because of what we do, but rather it is in spite of what we do. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags, and we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Have you ever been injured or cut and bled all over the floor or the counter and made a huge mess with your own blood? Imagine that if after you cleaned up your wounds and bandaged them, You tried to clean the blood off the counter with the same bloody rag that you used to clean yourself. You would just be smearing the blood around and making a bigger mess. In order to make something clean, you have to clean it with something clean, 
And we can never be the clean thing to clean up our dirtiness. Only Jesus can be that clean thing that will clean up our dirtiness. Unlike a clean rag, though, Jesus can cleanse all the sins of the world without becoming dirty himself. A while back, uh, I had a girlfriend and I gave her a key to my apartment so she could come in when I was, if she's in town, she could come in while I wasn't home or whatnot. One day, she somehow couldn't get the key to work and she got frustrated and she punched through the back window uh, so she could reach in and unlock my door. And, well, I came home and she just had blood everywhere and I had to fix up her hand to keep her from bleeding. But then after I did that, she then decided to clean up the mess, clean up all the, all that blood, and she tried to clean it up with the bloody rag. And after she did that, she had made it so, so much worse. And so not only did I have to help her fix her wound from punching through my glass, but I also had to help her, I had to clean up the blood and everything for her because she was just smearing it around with the bloody rag, making everything else bloody even when... You didn't initially have blood on it. Well, that's kind of what we're doing when we are trying to clean up our sin uh, by doing good works. We're just smearing it around. We're not actually accomplishing anything. By definition, grace is a free and an unmerited favor of God. We can never earn grace and we can never make ourselves worthy of it. After all, our most righteous works are no more than filthy rags. We are offered grace free because of the love of God, the love that God has for us. The gift of God is life eternal in Jesus Christ the Lord. We could be the best person in the world, and our good works are still not truly good nor do they stem from purely unselfish motives, regardless of what we may have fooled ourselves into thinking. Without Christ, our best works lead to death and hell. We learn from the Bible that, as it is written, there is none, no one righteous, n- not even one. Romans 3.10 The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Notice that the verse does not say, that some have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that all have sinned and fallen short. Everyone, everyone needs Jesus, and he is the only way into heaven, which also means that he is the only way out of hell. From the beginning, there have been people who erroneously thought that if they were good enough of a person, that it would work out in the end and they would be saved, like there's some kind of a cosmic scale and that the good would outweigh the bad that if they did more good deeds in life than the bad, that it would balance the scale of divine justice. But the thing is, if we're following some sort of law, that breaking one of the rules is the same as breaking them all, because you have to keep every single rule in order to completely fulfill them all, and that's impossible. The truth of the matter is, Only the atoning blood of Christ can balance the scales in our favor. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. 
Verse 10 goes on to tell us that we are expected to do good works after we are saved. But the Bible is extremely clear that we are not saved by our works, but rather we do good works because we are saved, and because we have become a new creature in Christ. An analogy I heard in church a year or so ago from my pastor, Scott Smith, who's the lead pastor at Wellspring Church, perfectly summed up how grace can be free to us, but not without cost. Imagine that your car was out of commission and you asked to borrow a friend's car, to which they agreed. And after a few days of driving the car, while pulling out of the parking lot, another car collides with you and with the car you borrowed. When the police arrive, they determine that the accident is your fault, which means that you are legally responsible for all the damages caused by the accident. Not only are you obligated to pay for your friend's car, but you're legally and morally obligated to pay for the damage to the other car as well. Well, you call your friends in tears, and you say that you'll do whatever you can to make it right, but you both know that there is no way that you can ever pay for the damages. Your friend takes compassion on you and tells you not to worry about the damages because they will take care of everything. Now, just because you are forgiven of the damages does not mean that the damage goes away. Someone still has to pay for it. In this scenario, your friend, the owner of the car that you borrowed, pays for the damage to the car you borrowed and to the other vehicle as well. Every last bit of damage was paid for, just not by the one who caused it. And that, my friends, is how forgiveness and salvation works. Everyone who believes in Christ and accepts His grace is forgiven of a tremendous debt, but that doesn't mean that the damage caused by the sin just went away. Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross to suffer death on our behalf so that we would not have to pay the demands of justice for our sins, but Jesus paid dearly to cover the cost for us. The wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but also spiritual death or the second death. In order to be forgiven of sins, there must be a sacrifice, for without the shedding of blood there can be no redemption. Uh, Hebrew 9.22 In Leviticus 17.11, God explains why blood must be shed. Quote, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. God, in his infinite mercy, allowed people to sacrifice an innocent animal in their place as a substitute, but such sacrifices were only temporary, and sacrifices had to be performed over and over. To get complete and lasting forgiveness from sin, we need a perfect and eternal sacrifice, a sacrifice that could only be accomplished by God in the flesh. Colossians 2.9 says, In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Jesus was the only person to have ever lived who never sinned, and he was the only perfect sacrifice. Going back to the analogy of the borrowed car, to pay off another person's debt requires someone who not only doesn't have any debt of their own, but also has the means to pay the debt. Jesus was fully human, and he lived a life free of sin as an innocent man, and as a result, he was free of the debt of sin. But he also had the means to pay for the debt because he was also fully God. People often ask, 
If I'm saved through grace and grace alone, and not by my works, why can't I just do whatever I want? Let me answer in part with a story. When Greg was a child, he went to a friend's home for a sleepover, and he was roughhousing in the living room, accidentally breaking the fish tank. The fish tank he broke wasn't a goldfish bowl or a beta bowl, but a 300-gallon saltwater aquarium full of expensive fish, which were now flopping on the wet carpet, desperately gasping for breath. Greg knew that that he and his friends could never clean up the mess on their own, so he called his parents, expecting them to be angry. When Greg's parents showed up, they were kind and understanding and began the cleanup without requiring help from Greg or any of the other children. Now, Greg was not a well-behaved child despite his parents' best effort and thought it would be funny to add to the mess since he was not expected to clean it up and poured his cup of grape soda onto the already wet carpet. Greg thought that since he was off the hook for the cleanup and the expense of the damage that it would be funny to add to the mess figuring that a cup of soda would not make that big of a deal, added to the 300 gallons of water, sand, gravel, and broken glass already on the floor. While Greg's rationale might have been accurate, his added actions were extremely disrespectful of his parents and made a mock of the grace that they showed toward him. Do you see where I'm going with this? Continuing to intentionally sin once we accept the grace of God makes a mock of the grace given to us, and the sacrifice Jesus made for us, and in a much larger way than Greg was disrespectful to his parents. The cleanup of the aquarium cost a few hours of time and not a small amount of money. But the cleanup of our souls and the cleanup of our lives cost the life of Jesus Christ the Lord. Any religion that teaches we are saved by any effort on our own part because of anything we have done is not Christianity. And any religion that teaches that it is just fine to willingly live in sin because we are forgiven is also not Christianity. It's important that we not only accept the grace that is freely offered by Jesus, but that we are also appreciative as well and are not just following Jesus for the handouts. God would like for all people to love him, but he will never force us to love him or else it would not be love. Love, by its very nature, has to be out of our own free will and choice. If we loved God because we were forced to, then we would not love God any more than our computers or cell phones love us when they do what we program them to do. Once programmed, a computer does not have the ability to do anything other than what it is told to do. And that is not love. I think that when we are not great as grateful to God as we should be, that it saddens him. But I know that he also understands because he understands all things. If we are not grateful for what God did for us, then we do not love God. We just don't want to take the punishment that is rightfully ours. When I was a teenager, I worked at a McDonald's restaurant. And when I was growing up, working in a fast food restaurant was kind of a rite of passage, something that all kids did when they reached a certain age. My manager hated me, and he hated me because I would not hook him up on a date with my mother on account of him being married and all. But despite the fact that he hated me as a man, as a person, he loved my work. See, I wouldn't hook him up on a date with my mother because 
I just somehow thought that it was not right for a, to hook a, up a married man on a date with my mother. And so because of that, he didn't like me. But he always appreciated my work. Well, after I'd worked at the restaurant for quite some time, they hired a new girl. And she was several years older than I was. And she was constantly making mistakes. After literally hundreds of warnings spanned out over the course of a week, she was told that if she made another mistake, they would have to let her go. Well, I noticed that she made a rather bad mistake and told her to leave the area and I would cover for her. When the manager came over, I lied and said that I had made the mistake so that the girl would not lose her job. And what the mistake was is that we had some uh, deep fryers that we fried french fries and stuff in. And somehow she dropped something in in the... I guess she had a bucket of uh, cleaning water or something... And she knocked that over into the into the vat of hot grease. And so with the cold water meeting the hot grease, there was pretty much an explosion of grease everywhere. And luckily nobody got burned, but they very well could have. It could have been really bad. Well, anyhow, when the manager came over, I told him that it was me that I accidentally uh, knocked the bucket over and it fell into the vat. And I told him that because I didn't, I didn't want the girl to lose her job. To my great surprise, instead of showing even the smallest amount of gratitude, the girl stepped in and told the manager that she tried to stop me from doing it, but I yelled at her and did it anyway. Well, later, when I was able to catch the girl privately, I asked her why she threw me under the bus so violently when I had stuck my neck out for her, and again, her lack of gratitude caught me off guard. She still did not thank me for, for helping her, and instead denied making the mistake and said that I should just own up to it and stop trying to get her into trouble for something that I did. To say that I was flabbergasted and a bit hurt would be putting it mildly. The girl was later fired anyway, and the manager told me that he knew all along that she was the one who made the mistake, and that he fired her for her dishonesty and for her lack of gratitude, but that since that I had claimed fault for it, that he still had to punish me for it. Before the girl was fired, the assistant manager gave her one last chance to come clean, but she vehemently denied any fault and all the more laid out the case as to how I had done it and how she had tried to stop me. This time, though, the girl resorted to all sorts of personal character attacks against me. And only thing I had ever done was to take the blame for something she did so that, I, so that she wouldn't get in trouble for it. And she rewarded me by saying bad things about me and trying to get me fired. During all of that, I never once tried to get her into any trouble, and I never recounted my story, because I wanted her to not get into trouble. But I was deeply hurt that I was treated so poorly for saving her. Sometimes, even now, more than 20 years later, I think of that instance, and it still stings a bit. I sometimes have to wonder how God feels when we refuse to show even the smallest token of gratitude for what he did for us. 
I was hurt by not being appreciated when I got into trouble at work for helping another person. So I have no way to fathom how God feels when he allowed his only son to be tortured and killed for our sins. Jesus was tortured and killed so that we can go free, and we make a mock of the sacrifice by continuing on in the crime that caused Jesus to have to pay our price in the first place. Sometimes we not only neglect to thank God for saving us from our own fire, but we throw gas on the flames, feeling secure in the fact that we will not get burned, and we really don't care who does. Every person who has ever been born, or who will ever be born, has fallen or will fall miserably short of God's standard. But the forgiveness and grace of God is free to all who ask, though it is not free for God, as he had to pay the price for us. When I was in college, I had an economics professor who said there is no such thing as a free lunch. You may not have had to pay for it, but it, is, but it costs someone something. And so it is with grace. We are forgiven for what we have done and saved from the punishment that is rightly ours by a gracious God who willingly and gladly paid the price for us that none of us can pay. And we should show gratitude for it by striving to live like we have been saved. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. But Jesus just paid the toll and opened the door. He does not force us to walk through it. But when we do choose to walk through it, we walk into the loving arms of God who is waiting eagerly for us to return to Him, that we may, that He may dry our tears and make us whole. Thanks for listening. I hope that this message has in some way uh, touched you. And if you have any personal experiences of how... God has worked in your life, or or if you have any experiences of maybe how this podcast has affected your life, uh, please contact me and let me know. Uh, the easiest way is probably to go to my website, genecurl.com, and go to the comment page. Uh, again, thanks you for listening, and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. A new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.